0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Action
3: Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment, food as sport, food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying this show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on American Glutton, we have our friend, award-winning chef, dorta lambert dorta has cooked for diplomats and celebrities and her creations have been featured on the cover of bon appetit today she is here to share her own health journey and how she lives a healthy life today you can find her on instagram at lambert dorta dorta lambert welcome to the american glutton podcast
4: ethan
3: come closer really want to you really want to really get into it get into it otherwise Dora. Paige takes over and just blows us out yeah. of the water with like vocals Can't and that's have not that.
5: fun. you yeah, know
4: me. I, I know her and I've experienced that many yeah. times so.
3: okay yeah. so I my the way I evolved into becoming enamored with chefs and cooking and all of that is the very first diet I went on on, on my own, like, my decision, I'm going to diet, I'm going to lose weight, I, ha- I was not eating any food, and I became somewhat obsessed with having a connection to food, and it started by watching food, because food TV, I think, was very new, this was like 2000 or 2001, and food tv was new or i had never heard of it before and so i turned on and it was like oh we got 24 hours a day of people showing me images of food while i can't eat which somehow helped me um because it gave me a connection to food i was just a guy who who would make pasta and throw like a can of alfredo sauce on it from you know progresso or something you know and 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 then it became like, well, how do I make Alfredo sauce? Well, holy shit, look at all the ingredients that you have to do to make this sauce. That's a lot of, that's that's not going to behoove me if I'm wanting to lose weight. Anyway, so then once I felt like I had my sea legs under me a little bit, it became a mission to like, meet chefs and cook with them and see and learn from them. And you were one of those people. So thank you for being here.
4: Ethan, thank you for having me here. And one of the reasons I love you so much was when we met, we talked about food immediately and it's your enthusiasm, like just down to your core of wanting to know how to cook something or how you bought something at the store and your whole process. And I love to hear how other people cook and like to eat and you know yeah so thank you for having me here today yeah
3: it was yeah. very exciting to have you here. and
4: you guys did cook
3: together right Didn't yeah. you- wasn't
4: it at your house was it yeah wasn't it a Passover
3: yeah I think so
4: there was I was that the time there was chicken potatoes and onions involved I think you brought a corned beef or you brought something and we ended up doing something in the kitchen together yeah and it was this and I think that's where the Onions and potatoes, caramelized. Right. (laughs) Yes. Does that make... That sounds familiar. Yeah. And ever since then, I've been making it and making money from that. Nice. (laughs) I
3: like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I want
4: to go back to something you said very quickly. You said you couldn't eat. Yeah. Was that because of... Was there a reason you couldn't eat? Were you not allowing yourself to eat? What was that?
3: Yeah. The first diet I did was liquid. It was a a liquid diet. So, you know... Look, I I find it's so weird because as of today, like in my life today, cooking is a chore because I I really cook a lot. So there's no... What I need from food, I'm getting 100%. I'm never hungry. I'm not depriving myself of anything. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So this urge that I have this connection with food, I'm getting everything I need. So there's no kind of like anxious need to make something else. When I, when I was dieting and I was on these really severely restrictive diets and I had little or no connection to food, Mm -hmm. I would be like, we're making fresh pasta tonight and we're going to hand make a basil pesto and we're going to, you know, this kind of thing. Just for the kids, just so I had some kind of a tangible connection to it.
4: Wow. Yeah. That is... Wow, that's really... That's a lot of control to have to, to have when you're not eating something and having to cook for somebody else. Right. You know, I mean, it goes along the lines of being a bartender if you're if you can't drink alcohol right
3: Mm -hmm. well i think and yeah and it's a very interesting thing because i i think that that is the perfect analogy and i think it's like maybe the stupidest thing you could do Mm -hmm. um but i also understand this kind of mental derangement of like i have many substance abuse problems many things i do compulsively Certainly eating is one of them. And so, you know, if you went to therapy and the therapist was going to say like, we're going to do some form of sublimation here where you have these urges that are harmful or negative, right? We're going to turn them into something positive. So Mm -hmm. you want to yell at your kids, take that energy, put it into a painting or something like this. That's kind of the way I think psychological sublimation works. I, did it a little bit differently where I went, I have these urges to eat to the point that I'm completely stuffed and sick. I'm going to now put that into making a delicious meal for my kids. You're not really, you know, it wouldn't be like I have the urge to yell at my kids. Okay. Yell at the wall. You're Cause you're still doing the same kind of unhealthy action. Although in my defense, I was trying to make it more healthy and I, And over the course of many years, it did become something where I... Just having more of an understanding of food um, and how it works. and, And, like, let's be honest... Uh, the diet I'm on now, there is a version where I can make everything very quick and bland and, and very tasteless. And then there's another version where I can go like, no, I'm going to slowly poach these chicken breasts instead of a hard, quick boil where they're like Mm -hmm. shoe leather. You know, I, I know how to do that. I could sous vide the chicken breast if I want. I could pressure cook them and shred them like having those tools, is very helpful. Mm
4: -hmm. And also I think, because I relate to this of what you're talking about and I'll touch on that, but that really was when you were on this liquid diet and you were cooking for your kids and you were kind of learning about eating in a different way, maybe, or trying to have a different relationship with food that you didn't have before. It was kind of a gateway to learning about how to, how to eat and how to, cook and how to prepare things but teaching yourself how to do it
3: yeah it was the beginning of being in control over something that i felt or i really didn't have a lot of self-control associated with so i think yeah step one like cook a bunch of delicious shit and don't eat it yeah and get people to come in and taste it you know what i mean because like there was even a point where like i'm making sure the pasta is al dente, but then spitting it out into the garbage disposal because I don't want to swallow anything. God forbid I got gluten into my system at Mm -hmm. that point. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally, I get that. You know, I had a very weird relationship with food growing up and, um, I had to teach myself how to eat, as an adult, I was not, I used food as control, I mean, you know, coming out of an unhappy uh, divorce of parents and et cetera, et cetera. And so I also was really had a lot of body shaming going on. People seem to really focus in on my body. Now, I look back on pictures of myself when I was younger, whereas if you would have asked me as a child, I was deformed.
3: Right.
4: And now I look and and, unha- and unhappy and also body shamed by people. And I look back at it as an adult that's come through it and has gotten very healthy and has taught myself how to eat and have kind of figured out what works for me in a very specific way. I look back on those pictures and it wasn't I was never an obese person. And by today's standards... I didn't look all that bad, and I got a lot of bad flack from people that made me very self-conscious, and in in return lived very unhappy for a long time. It's only now that my weight has completely stabilized. I never thought that I would have that. This is my body now, right? Yeah, you know, I can make it stronger through exercise and so on. But my weight is I'm, I've stabilized. I don't know how I got there, but I had to teach myself how to eat, and I had to allow myself to trust food that it was going to do the the things I needed it to do, and not everything was going to make me fat or bloated, and I had to figure out what to eat for my I body. Think,
3: but I think this is a big fear um, for anybody who's ever had, you know, and listen, I'm about to step into a taboo area here, but my wife and her friends are all on a program where, uh, she, she gave me like instructions. Here's what I need for lunch. If you're going to do or meal prep, can you meal prep me some lunches for this week? And I said, sure. What do you need? And she told me the list of like, here's how much protein and veggies and oil and all of that and fats and stuff. And I was like, sure, no problem. And I made it. And she looked and she said, you cooked the onions. And I said, yeah, they're delicious. It's all delicious. I may I only make I will only serve you <laughs> delicious food. And she was like, "No, I can't have cooked onions." And I said, "What do you mean? You had onions on your list. It says it right here, even the quantities. I didn't alter the quantities." And she said, "Yes, but you know, when you cook onions, you jack up the carbohydrates by a lot." And I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about? That's not a thing." No, it's not a thing. It's not a thing if you yeah. if you add sugar. Maybe you could do that. Uh, I understand if you took a cup of raw onions and compared it to a cup of cooked onions. Yeah. The cup of cooked onions would have more carbohydrates by volume because you've reduced the size of what you cooked. But if I have an ounce of raw onions and cook them, they don't increase in carbohydrates And she was like, no, this my diet place told me if you cook onions, you increase. And, and I was just like, this is complete insanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is not a <laughs> po- thing that's possible. The art effect doesn't work like that.
5: Yeah, I, I have to say, as being one of those people in this uh, friend group doing this particular diet, there's been a whole text chain about this uh, where Ethan told brandy to tell us you know very clearly to figure out what we didn't understand because this was not true it's not true I, no i get it It, but but it just speaks to these tiny little things that someone says and then you y- you can fixate on that like i can't have cooked onions it changes the. i actually thought it was sugar content or something i mean who can i don't know
4: but well ethan's right about the quantity right, right? so like one whole onion versus you know raw mm-hmm. versus three cooked down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because you have
3: three onions. But right. We have,
4: but we're, by the way, we're talking about a, a, a carbohydrate in the form of an onion. Right. I right. mean <laughs> no, a I'm loaf eating, of bread.
5: Yeah.
4: Right. This is not <laughs> a white processed, <laughs> I know. loaded with sugar piece of bread that goes into your body and causes inflammation. I know. When you are eating a plethora of vegetables and healthy proteins, whatever that works for you, I, th- I have found that your body... It feeds on it. Yeah. And you need that. An an onion in any form is not going to make you gain weight. I just will not allow that. I mean, listen,
3: if you got four quarts of like caramelized (laughs) onions that didn't have any oil added to them, you still might be going like, there could be a lot of calories in this at the end of the day. It's possible, right? I'm not going to sit and eat a bucket of cooked onions. No. Cooked onions for me (laughs) tend to be a garnish or like the base of a dish right we put it into a lot of sauces start with onions this is but by no means does cooking anything increase anything uh you take a piece of chicken raw and you cook it nothing increases the only thing you have is a decrease because you lose water and possibly some fat that's Mm -hmm. it the protein amount is exactly the same so but this is the point like I'm, I've am i had so much of like somebody mentioned that this is bad and somebody mentioned that this is bad. And then you walk away with it going like, well, that is dogmatic truth. I'm mm-hmm. going to live my life in that way without ever going like, does that make sense? I'm going to look into that a little yeah. bit. You and, know. And,
4: yeah. And by the way, the carbohydrate has really just been demonized demonized completely when your body needs carbohydrates in order to function are there better choices for carbohydrates or are are, there's better choices for every food yeah you know a huge thick fatty steak once in a while great every day what was that diet you were you probably on that one too where you ate steak and whipped cream the (laughs) atkins diet right the
3: atkins was the first iteration that it was keto yeah I don't know if you're allowed whipped cream on uh, Carnivore, but maybe some version Probably of that. not. Yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah. You know, I, I have, I mean, I, I have, it's just funny because I'm asked about diets all the time. I am not a nutritionalist. I know from common sense now what's going to be healthier and what better choices are for me to eat. Also for fuel for when I'm working. I'm on my feet all the time, so I can't just eat a cake. And then think that I'm going to have a lot of energy to work. Also, I have to keep my body strong to be able to work well into my 80s. So I have to eat healthy, good choices. Um, But those diets... Paige knows I have a whole thing. She won't, she, she, whenever Paige invites me over for dinner, she'll say, now I just want to let you know I am doing <laughs> this diet and it has nothing to, nothing to do with you. Like I'm just doing my thing and I know that you're aware of it. And because those diets are, they're tricky and they can trigger and nine times out of 10, they don't work.
5: And I also want to say, I think, um, you know, I I don't know. I, there's been a number of times that we've been together, and yeah, I, I've been much more extreme before or whatever. And and I think when you're on something extreme, you're talking about it all the time, you're just like, oh, I can't have this and I can't have that. And, I'm, and you just talk about your diet, and it's like, it's not. Um, I don't know. I know you just said at one point, like, I don't I, I don't want to like we don't need to get into all that. Like you look great, you're healthy. Like I know that you try to. With me anyway, like take it to the focus of health, Mm -hmm. and not get so into these crazy kind of, I don't know. I I got the idea that it made you annoyed or uncomfortable or both. You know?
4: Yeah. Well, the reason though it would it had made me uncomfortable, it's because of my own history with eating. So I found the less focused of nitpicking about food stuff. Triggered me less And didn't make me start to think like What am I eating and what am I not eating and I better eat that And I better not do this and you know Keeping it Real for me Mm -hmm. which is I know If I wake up and eat this breakfast And this meal two hours later And this meal three hours later and I eat like Four or five small meals in a day That I'm going to be really great If I sit in a room of people That start to Talk about diets That are (laughs) fad diets it makes me nervous mm-hmm. of my because of my own history. Yeah, that's why.
5: Yeah, and I and if you could tell us a little bit about that because I know you mentioned that that actually like the challenges you faced, which you mentioned earlier, body shaming and so on, but your need for control with food and all of that, which makes sense now with what you, what you know even more for yeah. me. You said that um, that was one of the things that sort of led you down the road of becoming interested in being a chef. And let me just say. I know I'm asking a question and I'm making a statement at the same time. I have had Dorta's food; it's incredible. When it is I incredible. when oh, I introduce Dorta at a party or to other friends, I say, "This is my friend Dorda. She's a classically trained pastry chef from Denmark." Also, da 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 da. Like I go on very flowery about her. I let her really reveal nothing about herself. I give her bio. Well, but like, wait,
3: let's also say, let's, like you, you come out of Michael's, yeah, which
4: in the '80s and it, '90s, uh, mm-hmm. yeah,
3: Ella, we had wolfgang puck i guess was like a celebrity chef but it was him mm-hmm. and then we had michael's where it was kind of like everybody whoever was there was a badass yeah right which was a much bigger deal than the crew that ever was at spago it was com- you know <laughs> what i mean it was <laughs> yeah, kind I of like
4: well you know i have to i can't i'm not allowed i mean yeah you won't you say that but i you, would say but like, i love but that's it, I true. think it's a true
3: statement. When you look at mm-hmm. Spago, you have Wolfgang Puck only, mm-hmm. kind of. And mm-hmm. when you look at Michael's, it's like you could just show a diagram of all the places that exist because of that. Well,
4: that's been diagrammed in magazines before. Yeah, really? Which is very impressive. The, yeah, they did some article one time where it was all the different chefs that came out and what they did. And then all the married couples that came out of Michael's, oh, me being five. one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that I, I was with Michael on and off for about 16 years, and I grew up there and started in my early 20s. But I don't think I could do what I do today if I didn't have this fantastic training.
5: Yeah, and let's say that today you're a private chef.
4: I work privately.
5: And have for many, many years. Many years. That's yeah. actually how you and I met back yeah. in the day with a mutual. Client.
2: And I don't uh, think we
3: can say who, but they're very fancy people. Okay, <laughs> They're much fancier than any of the people in this room, except for you, Dorta.
2: Yeah,
4: well, and and my people that I work for say that I'm fancier than them.
3: So. Uh, by the way, the, another very impressive thing about you, which I, I've always kind of thought about it in a slightly bizarre way, is... You work for people who also own restaurants, which is a very big deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes.
4: And also very helpful in understanding what I do Yeah, when I have to do a party or when I have to do something. I have a lot of support in the house. It makes it much, I wouldn't say easier, but yeah, just more uh, support in how an evening is going to go, you know, because... They know what it takes to do something like that from well,
3: beginning to end. I Okay. You say they know. I say they're very informed on how all of this is. So, like, you can't serve them a subpar dish. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, like.
4: Oh, they, as far as that. He, like, oh, yeah. I'm...
3: I've never owned a restaurant. I'm not a very fancy person. I think you could serve me anything and I would be wowed by it. These people are another level of, and I don't want to call anybody snobs, but I think snob can be an interesting, a a fantastic word in some sense. Like, if you're like a very famous director and then you have somebody who's directing for you, then you're going to be a little bit, you're going to have a slightly different critical eye to what they're doing. So anyway, I can't sing your praises enough.
4: Well, thank you, Ethan. That's so sweet of you. I am very fortunate to work for people now that uh, love home cooking. Yeah. Down to earth, home cooking. Um, so there's no foam. Oh, we don't good. do things like that yeah. there. No foam. Foam
3: was cool <laughs> for 10 years, but yeah, we've all had enough oh uh,
4: We really, you know, and so that's nice because when when they're at home, they, you know, who doesn't want to have a nice home-cooked meal and feel... You know, nourished and and comfortable in their home. And that's what is important when you're working in someone's home is, too. Yeah, and it's so intimate. It is. It really is very intimate. You have to just kind of back out Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And that's what I do. How
3: how does it work? Um, Because one of the things that I, through my obsession with food, recognized very early on why food tastes better at a restaurant is there's a lot of butter. There's a lot of like, you know, shallots is another thing. Like you substitute shallot for an onion and you have a magical increase in flavor. Salt shallots, not unhealthy, but Mm -hmm. like, I think just adding a ton of butter is not super healthy. How do you do that when people actually know like, Oh, this tastes better because you put, you know, like I was reading the classic instructions on, uh, potato puree in france is equal parts potato and butter Mm -hmm. wow half and half like that's how you get the that's mashed potatoes in france
4: yeah
3: i try to do that i but i have to sneak it because my wife watches (laughs) yeah and she's like how much butter are you putting in and i say go in the other room
4: yeah once you know i just had this conversation last night with somebody but once in a while um, a, some butter is not going to hurt you. My mom was danish, so she would put big thick slabs of butter on her bread. And um you know, it really I mean, you know, you can depends on your body mechanism. Once in a while, those potatoes are fine. Yeah. It's not an everyday thing. Uh and I also think, you know, not all restaurants food tastes better than your Sure. But those that do, there's a lot of components that go into it. It's good ingredients it's you know the freshest uh vegetables it's quality olive oil it's the best butter it's the best but it's also the process and how you cook in a restaurant you cook at higher heats yeah Mm. um that creates more flavor caramelization etc so there's a number, number of things that that come into that.
3: Yeah, I remember wanting to buy an oven that went up to like 900 at one point and it being just insanely expensive and Brandy saying, "No, absolutely not." And I was like, "No, I need it for prime rib."
4: <laughs> You're going to want to do that outside. I don't even know if that's legal to have inside your house. Right. You probably not. I need a 900 degree oven for yeah. prime rib. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to that's an outdoor
3: then I then I went on to, like, a salamander. I was like, let me just buy you a salamander. Did you
4: get one of those? No. she oh. wouldn't
3: let me. <laughs> she kind of stopped. She was just like, you have all these gadgets. No more.
5: I have to say, you know, being a fan of Ethan's cooking as well, it's like that's a little benefit I get of being friends with Brandy is that, you know, like for her birthday this year – she just wanted Ethan to make her feel like she was in a restaurant. That's mm-hmm. what she said. Yeah. Got dressed up and he cooked the most amazing meal for four of us, you know? Yeah. And it was, like, the greatest. So, like, when he wants to take out those skills, like, he's he's got it.
3: Yeah. So you know great. how to do that. I definitely do. But I, I will say, like, Brandy also wanted uh, – The meal she was like, and have it match this whole thing. And I was like, Oh, the one where you're not eating cooked onions? Okay. (laughs) But no, but then I was just like, You're not allowed in the kitchen today because I'm not doing that. And there's going to be butter and I'm cooking the onions and everything else.
4: Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yes. Gosh, I remember one time I was doing a private, uh a, a little catering event for someone at a dinner party. And uh, the, the client walked by I was prepping some sort of a vegetable I can't remember what vegetable it was but I was prepping something might have been artichokes and she walked by and saw the artichokes and stopped and, and said oh is is that how you're doing that and then I realized that that had happened a couple times that Th- this was what was going to happen during my work—that right. she was going to come by and critique what I was making—and you know I'm not all that sensitive to people doing that because I need to hear what people want mm-hmm. and talk about menus uh, and all of that's fine. But when someone is nitpicking the the shape yeah. or something, then then you know that you're in trouble. But, yeah, I mean, at Michael's, we were trained that you never said no. Right. And so it really is about hearing what somebody wants and making. It has nothing to do with your own personal. Yeah. Not, not for me, anyway.
5: And how did you get, will you tell us a little bit about your evolution of, because I know you were at Michael's for the longest time, but prior to that, didn't you study in Denmark and become... Yeah,
4: well, I, yes, I trained as a pastry chef at Michael's for a good six years, right out of high school, and then needed more training. Mm. I felt. So my mom was in Denmark. I went back to Denmark and um, trained there uh, with a master pastry chef, Geert Sørensen at Tivoli Gardens. And that changed my way of cooking because he was so specific. He was not just a master chef of pastries, but in in everything that he did, you know, in the way that he woke up in the morning and (laughs) the way he went to sleep, it was just completely... He was 100% a chef. And so he taught that. And then I went back to Michael's and cooked there for another six years and got married. And my husband at that time was a chef. And he got into the private sector. So I started to kind of cook with him. And I had spent so much time cooking at Michael's. The savory side had already gotten kind of into my head. Uh, When you're around food, you're around food. So, um we went through a divorce and I thought, you know, I could, I want to cook. I want to cook, cook. And I went to Italy uh, for quite a while and just got my chops in on the savory side of cooking and came back and got into private. I think I kind of messed around on my dates, but that's how I segued yeah. into, into the private
3: and, sector. And going back to what you were saying about how you learned to eat through cooking. Yeah. Coming into it, what was your initial, what was the thing that you had to unlearn or learn? Like, what was the thing that you were dealing with? Uh, We talked about body shaming, but what what was it like? Were you looking for that? Was that the entryway into even wanting to cook?
4: No. And actually, I was going to say, I think my life was so compartmentalized at that time that cooking and how I was eating and my unhappiness with life was um, really the eating was just trying to control so I had a better life. And I didn't really know how to eat. And so I would eat only chicken one day, and then I would eat only vegetables the next day, and only, you know, cereal one day. But it all was in specific controlled amounts. And this was from a very young age. just from like 14 into my early 20s. The reason I got into cooking was because I was actually a dancer, and realized I wasn't going to be good enough. And my mother worked in the restaurant industry in Denmark. Mm. so I And my grandmother was a chef in a home. So I had that in my mind. And my dad liked to eat. So food was a part of my life, but in a crazy way, because it was never in kind of a relaxed way. You know, like my dad would say, oh, you're going to eat that. Or my mom would say, oh, you really love food. But in a way where it was shaming me. Yeah. And so it was very confusing as a child. When I got into cooking was really around the same time that I realized I need to I need to figure this out so I can feel better about myself and eat regular meals and that's how I kind of, I had to, I did it all on my own. Yeah. I didn't do it with any help until later there were therapy, you know, I, I was in therapy and that was very helpful, but I had to really.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
4: become me, you know, and kind of get in touch with who I was as a person. And then also I had to start saying to people, stop commenting on my body. I'm not here for that.
3: Yeah. I think that this is a, this is an interesting way to even look at the landscape of the diet culture today, because there is so much stuff floating around and i don't you know if people are getting information from social media or from their friends or from the mainstream media or the government you know i don't know that anybody i I, there's really no way to say everybody should follow these exact dietary things it's like if you know um cucumber skin gives you gas Mm -hmm. then I understand not eating cucumber skin but because some guy says cucumber skin you know and I've had such interesting conversations with so many divergent points of view on this it's like one guy says well there are mitotoxins in uh, cucumber skin and then another guy who's a neuroscience scientist says yeah there are and guess what that give something for your immune system to fight against, like adding in those small doses actually makes you stronger. And that's why we eat that stuff. And so like, at the end of the day, it's like, there's so much information out there um, where, you know, I think personally, I think the best thing to do is to have a go at different things Mm -hmm. with the point of view of like, is this working for me? Mm -hmm. How do I feel while I'm doing this? Is Mm -hmm. this something I can keep doing rather than taking something you've overheard, like cooked onions is you might as well be eating cotton candy or something like that and going like, well, this is the new rule I'm living by. And it's like, I'm, I'm sorry guys, you and your friends, Whatever state you're trying to handle Mm -hmm. is not due to eating cooked onions.
5: In my own defense, I don't really pay attention to that weird rule. And I'm just focusing on balance and getting to a point in maintaining (laughs) it. I've learned a lot with Ethan about maintenance and stuff from Ethan about maintenance and so on. So I'm not paying attention to the onion thing. I'm calling you out
3: simply because you associate with these other girls. I see, I see. And I've had many conversations with Brandy and started um, not really insisting that she cook her onions, but like saying like, (laughs) why don't you just try this as an experiment? Mm -hmm. Cook all your onions and see if there's any change. Right. No change at all. But then I did have another conversation with another one of their friends and we were talking about carby and uncarby vegetables. And I was like, well, clearly a potato is going to be different than a head of lettuce or an onion. And she was like, right. As long as I don't cook the onions. And I was like, what? Yeah. That <laughs> what is a, are you talking that's just about? wrong.
4: You know, I have found It's really true about finding what works for you. Yeah. And I find that, uh, I, you know, like I, I get low blood sugar and I think it was from all that sugar I ate as a pastry chef, just really kind of set me up for a very sensitive system. Um, I also find that when, you know, like if I have body aches, right, like my neck hurts and my knee hurts, and my hip hurts and I've really linked up my consumption of sugar or white processed foods With inflammation. And, you know, like it doesn't take much more than a week to look back and say, what have I been eating? Oh my gosh, I ate that and now I'm feeling this way. And so I have figured out a way to eat that is, and I eat like good portions, but they're all things that I feel I'm using as fuel, you know, like. Uh like before I left my house today, I had a bowl of brown rice with tuna and olive oil and radishes.
3: Sounds delicious. Now,
4: I don't know how you can go wrong with that. Right. I don't know how your body is going to, unless you eat a bucket right. of that, I think your body uses that as fuel. Yeah. Whereas if you're going to, and I allow myself to get a hamburger from a fast food place or whatever once in a while but it's taken a long time to have that kind of control without it being fearful control
3: yeah i yeah i mean i think that like at the end of the day i it can i'm sorry i'm stuttering so much because i'm i just had 43 thoughts (laughs) (laughs) at 500 plus pounds when you're when you're using food as a mechanism to like detach yourself from life, because Mm you, you get, you you get this almost euphoric experience of filling yourself. Right. It's really hard to imagine getting out of that hole Mm -hmm. moderately. Yeah. Really, really hard. Mm. So I want to speak honestly to people like, if you need to take a break from some of that stuff, by all means, take a break. But I think to your point, like if we live in fear of these things mm-hmm. and if we put the the existence of responsibility into an inanimate object, do we ever reclaim that power? How can we? If the power always exists in something else, how do we become powerful? You right. know?
4: Yeah. And uh, yeah, exactly. You know, I have found for me... That I, I now know at this age, at 57, finally, or not finally, but it, it's actually kind of a surprise. Wow, like my body seems to have found what is kind of working and what makes me feel better. And that is eating kind of more or less the same stuff on, you know, on a daily basis. I also do better when I eat dinner at 5 o'clock at night. Me too. If I can finish dinner and a glass of wine... By no later than 5:45, I can sleep with no problem. If I have dinner like a normal person at seven o'clock with my friends out for dinner, I'm up all night. Yeah, because I don't uh, metabolize. I I just get it's becomes the sugar in the body and everything starts going. Um, how, that said, all that said, if I put the work in during the week and I don't consider it work because I'm eating things that I really like, which is crunchy and hot and cold and all the stuff. I get the, you know, the 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 cravings taken care of. If I go out for dinner or if I feel like ordering something in once in a while, it can be whatever I
3: want. Yeah.
4: It's taken a very long time to get here.
3: Yeah. And it sounds like you've figured out moderation. I, yeah. I, I mean, I do occasionally have a meal that is about entertaining myself and about Mm -hmm. feeling the sensations that I associate with my childhood from sneaking food Mm -hmm. and doing all this bad stuff that, that for many years I was scared would just, you know, like an alcoholic, I I go like, I'm not going to drink beer. So then I go like, well, I shouldn't have these, I shouldn't practice these kind of bad habits that I had with food because it's like a gateway or whatever. Um, but then every now and again, I do. And the difference now with having distance is I can see the mm-hmm. effect right. in almost immediately. And what and over time, it just becomes like not worth it. Mm-hmm. You know,
4: yeah, mm-hmm. uh,
3: I I can't understand how I existed that way every day mm-hmm. or, or to the point where it was so much that that effect was numbed or just so constant that it was life.
4: Right. It's really about being aware, you know, and it's so interesting that you just said that because I just started working out with this new trainer and I'm, I love him. His name is Jesse and he's just there. He's excellent and he's just got a wonderful way of communicating and he's hardcore but he's just he's such a sweet person but we were we talk about these things and just today we were talking I told him I was doing this show and something came up about you know getting like something like some sort of a meal or something later or doing something and I was talking about you know me with food and he showed me on his schedule every Thursday at four o'clock, or whatever he put it, it says, not worth it. And he explained to me that that would be maybe the night that he would go out and have a few drinks, or maybe go and eat a ton of food, or whatever he was going to do. But isn't that interesting? Yeah. Not worth it. And it's true. If I feel, if I, I can feel when I've had too much sodium, I can feel all this stuff. I'm so sensitive.
3: But don't you think it also takes time to develop the sensitivity maybe not necessarily develop the sensitivity but be aware of the sensitivity
4: yeah i do i think it takes time and i also think that you don't change when you're not uncomfortable when i'm uncomfortable i i don't want to live in that moment i have a pair of jeans that when those start getting i don't weigh myself ever but i have a pair of jeans and when those reach a certain point I know it's time to streamline, <laughs> right. and that, and I just don't want to be uncomfortable anymore. But with that, I can I get the satisfaction of eating a lot of food. It just might be a ton more vegetables, or if I'm going to have ribs one night, then it's going to be with a huge salad. Yeah. And so, so I still get the satisfaction of eating, which I love to do, but hopefully in a more balanced way. That's not just like potato salad and ribs and coleslaw and mashed potato like that's a that's a meal that i know i'm not gonna sleep well with
3: Uh, yeah me too i do still see it on instagram or in advertisements like i see a mcrib and my mouth salivates
4: i'm salivating right now yeah
3: it's like it's such a cool image that captures this Seasonal part of my childhood, like the McRib is back. How am I going to get the McRib? How am I I going to convince my mom or sneak out of the house to get the McRib? And I found ways every time the McRib was back, and and never even understanding what is there some pork shortage? Why don't they just have it as a staple?
5: I think it was some kind of marketing thing, and it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) Oh yeah, I remember those times.
4: Gosh, yeah. You know, it's funny. I just I have this little thing for gum in my car and I recent and I don't know what I was thinking It's so interesting <laughs> I'm gonna take it out but I it's a little plastic thing and I ended up putting like some I have to be careful with sugar like yeah. I really know that it gives me inflammation yeah. so uh, but for some reason last week I decided to fill half of that thing with gummy bears and gum so now when I'm driving in my car I just realized all I am thinking about is that goddamn Things sitting there. And I know I shouldn't have those gummy bears and I am not having them. But well, why is that in my car? Right. What am I doing? Yeah. I'm going to dump it out.
3: I, yeah, we have, <laughs> really uh, cute. we have beer in our house and Brandy doesn't drink beer and it's all, almost always bought. Like if we're having people over that, we know drink beer. Cause I don't drink anything. Um, but then nobody ever drinks all the beer. And so the leftover beer goes into the pantry. And then every time I go in the pantry, I look at it and I go, why is this still here? Like, this is like we're preppers for being alcoholics when the apocalypse comes because the beer gathers dust. Because how often do we have people over? Not much this year, but we still have like just random beer in the pantry, and I have the same thought. Like, it's a trigger. What's, how? Why is this here? Yeah. Like, and then I just, it just remains. Yeah. Gathering I can't,
5: dust. I cannot have stuff in my house that I don't want to be eating. Yeah. I just can't do it. No. Yeah. I mean, I can. I, there are times where I'm really dedicated and it's not worth it, but if I'm on the edge and I know I'm kind of fighting to stick with my plan or whatever I'm doing I can't because I'll just I'll be in bed I'll have had a perfect day on whatever I'm doing feeling good and I'll think like but why wouldn't I just go get that bag of nuts right now like why wouldn't I just go get those nuts and eat them here in this bed like I guess I should or you know or I'll open the drawer of the pantry and I'm like oh yeah I guess I'll just, I, and I, it's before I know it, so I just can't, I can't have it around.
4: Yeah, I, I can't either. I can't have a lot of food in the house.
3: Yeah, when, I've, gotten, I've been on so many versions of like, this is off limits and this is off limits that like you can pretty much put anything in my house. And if it's not what I'm eating, it's like, oh, interesting. We have <laughs> Big Macs in the pantry. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I understand what you guys are saying and I would suggest if um somebody who's taking their first steps into you know the, what you said about discomfort like people don't seem to change unless they're uncomfortable the the other scary thing about this is sometimes that discomfort without a barometer like you're talking about where you're like this is my measuring stick mm-hmm. this I don't I can actively feel this discomfort comes so gradually that it's not even recognizable
4: a hundred percent and you're
3: just suddenly shopping for bigger pants
4: yes and also i think that people are very uncomfortable in their bodies pain wise especially as they're getting older and don't realize that what is probably attributing to that yeah whereas it's not just go and take advil and tylenol but the diet in how you're eating every day is super important. You know, you, you can't possibly be eating all of that stuff that's filled with sugar for that inflammation. I mean, that's what I've really figured out recently is how much that affects my body. And you do it, they, I was, I heard something on KCRW, they did some sort of a um, statistic and, and you can kind of apply this to anything, but they said that it was in the COVID testing that five days a week, 30 minutes a day of moderate exercise, right? We've been hearing this for how many thousands of years could be walking, cycling, heavy gardening made a huge factor in the difference of people that had COVID from a mild case to a moderate to severe case. Really? That exercise of getting out and moving your body and, and, Uh, getting your circulation going is key you have to move your body
3: yeah it it, we've become into a a very strange landscape that is so different i think than when we were kids where there's there's so much less need to move our bodies Mm -hmm. you know and so even when we were kids where it was like Nobody has cell phones, let alone computers in their pockets. Computers are these giant monstrous machines that only the Pentagon uses to crunch numbers. Um, you kind of had to move more. There wasn't a lot to do sitting still. So you were just de facto more active. And now we're not. I, I just think it's a... a too quick a transition into being sedentary, you know?
4: Yeah. Kids aren't outside riding their bikes, playing out front as much. Uh, Well, no, the
3: stats, the stats, I don't think any kids are. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to like the fear of kidnappings. When we Mm -hmm. were kids, all the pictures on milk cartons, kidnappings are much, much less. And yet kids are much more restricted. It's Mm -hmm. again, counterintuitive. Like you think, um, well, we're all making our kids stay home because there's so much kidnapping. Well, it's it's nothing like it was a generation ago.
5: Yeah, it's true, Dorta I have a question for you because I think it translates to not just what you to do kidnapping. to, to kidnap from kidnapping. I'd like to
3: segue into what do you? What's a really Here's what what's I, a good treat to make to lure the kids into the van? <sighs>
5: No, I was just thinking, um, how do you stay creative? Like, you're cooking for this, you know, mostly the same people, right? And someone's home every night. Mm -hmm. Because I was thinking about what you said earlier, like, there's something about going out to a restaurant, everything tastes different. You're essentially providing a restaurant for somebody Every night, five nights a week and leaving food for the weekend and however you do. How how do you stay creative and do that and keep things varied? I'm asking because like for anyone on a diet plan, that's a hard thing. Not everyone is really a super skilled chef and knows how to just whip stuff together and you can get in a rut. And like, how do you do that? I feel like anybody could benefit from that.
4: Yeah. Well, first of all, I have time to do it because it's my job. So I'm not a working person that's working all the way up till six o'clock every day and has to go home. I'm always fascinated by people that do that. By the way, I'm like, I say to some people, you know, you're going home and cooking now It's seven o'clock. Yeah, we're going to go home and cook. I've been, I prep all day long. Um, It's hard, you know, you have to keep, I'm I'm sure I, I can fall into ruts or Um, there's favorite things that I can fall back on, but, um, I do a lot of things to try to rejuvenate things that I'm making or to try to get creative. So that would, I go around the world in my mind. So if I've been making Mexican food, I'm making Thai food. Well, I have, what's going on in Cuba or what's happening in Thailand or so I can get ideas and I'll Google things and Google ideas that I'll do. And... I look through magazines all the time to kind of get eye-popping things to jump out at the page to me to kind of wet my whistle for things. You know, so you have to do some research. You have to, you know, what's the newest restaurant? What are people enjoying eating? What what did people eat 50 years ago? Mm. There's a lot of things you have to pull from. I mean, sometimes I'm in the fetal position in my bedroom. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know what I'm going to make. Kill myself. <laughs> And somehow, you know, I just make, if that day is happening, I just make something that just tastes good. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's hard, Yeah, but I've been very fortunate, lucky, I hope, I think.
3: <laughs> How important is it to perfect something? Like I, w- I would, I, I would get really obsessed with making the same thing over and over again and just doing small tweaks, um, and to the point where my kids would revolt and say, we're not eating this anymore. Like, uh, mm-hmm. how, you can't really change a curry that much, you know? Um, right. Because I'm thinking of, like, I want you to suggest a simple recipe that people can cook and then tell them to cook it a thousand times.
4: And it'll re- and it'll be the same result?
3: Not the same result, that, that they can, you know, something that maybe they could add... You know, lemongrass to one day and jalapenos the next if they want to change the whole theme of it. But like, um, yeah, not not necessarily get the same result because we don't want the same result. It's not a restaurant. We're cooking for ourselves now.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, OK. So you want me to t- say a, a recipe? Whatever. Yeah,
3: that's healthy and easy.
4: Oh, well, I mean, the go to is smothered chicken. Great. Yeah. Wait, no, it doesn't sound very <laughs> Healthy or easy to me. (laughs) My version is not only healthy, but easy.
5: Okay, tell us. So you
4: really, you just, you, uh, chicken breasts and you chop up a bunch of peppers. It can be any color pepper that you like, equal amount of peppers and onions. Um, you should have some garlic and scallions set aside. You can cook with chicken broth and white wine. Um, I like to use Tony Sachery seasoning.
3: Oh, my God. I do, too. I yeah. love it. It's the best. Yeah. Have you had this? Uh-uh. What is it's it? It's like Cajun Creole spice. It's It's amazing. the go-to. Okay. Yeah. It's the go-to.
4: Okay. Uh, and um, so you have... Uh, you take your...
3: So you take your chicken breasts.
4: You toss them in a little bit of flour, salt and pepper, and... Uh, when one thing in Italy that I learned was to use a good amount of olive oil when you're cooking, so people use too little fat in the pan and it sticks and it's not good. And it's fat makes things taste better, and yeah, olive oil. So, um, I put a good little, you know, I don't know, f- whatever a lot of olive oil in the bottom of the pan. I,
3: I by the way, I love this because I am never a fan of measuring shit when I'm cooking like this, yeah. It's just olive oil. That's it. Yeah.
4: Yeah. You cover the bottom until it has a nice layer. Good. Um, And then you sear your chicken breasts on both sides. Meanwhile, everything else is prepped and ready to go. Right? So it's all chopped. That's what you have to do when you're cooking is you have to have a mise en place. So you take your chicken breast out into a bowl and you pour in your onions and peppers and you cook them down. You saute them down. I usually put a little more olive oil on top of that and I cook them down. So they get pretty, you know, not totally wilted or caramelized, but you know, like just softened and they may get a little color. Maybe not. I throw in my garlic and saute that around. And then I put my chicken breast back in the pan and it, and the, Amount of peppers is like a lot. So you want to, because you want to be able to smother the chicken with the peppers. Chicken back in the pan, deglaze with white wine. Let that cook down a little bit. Put a little chicken broth in there. Not a little, but you want to cover the chicken. Just cover it. And um, Tony Sashri seasoning, salt and pepper, maybe a squeeze of lemon juice. Bring it to a simmer. And you can cook that for, on a simmer, you can cook that for two hours. Right. You can cook it for an hour, but you really want to get that chicken nice and soft. Yeah. Covered or uncovered? uh, You want it covered. Okay. Um, But you want to check it because you don't want it to be boiling. You just want it to be simmering. The boil
3: will make the meat seize, right? Yeah. Yeah.
4: So you want it to really kind of soften and release and just soak up the juices and, and so on. So, you know, a good hour and a half to two hours, you can turn it off, heat it up later. Or eat it then. But then right before you're going to serve it, I do a couple things. First of all, I sprinkle a ton of green green onion, some scallions in there. Then I'll saute. Maybe I'll throw some peas in there. Uh, or I'll saute a bunch of baby okra mm. chopped up with cooked onions, brandy. <laughs> and uh, when I serve, so I'll serve the chicken with the broth it's brothy with a lot of the peppers on top and then the okra right on top. Serve it with brown rice or quinoa, white rice. Um, some people like to just put cornbread on the bottom wow. mm. and then the chicken and that on top. But that's a super easy, very healthy. I mean, what's there's a tablespoon of flour. I don't know what would be unhealthy. Again,
3: look, a ta- Whoa. if if we're talking to people who have celiac or uh hachimotos or something like that yes
4: you don't don't have
3: to do the flour
4: no you wouldn't even notice the difference yeah i like to see a little bit of the crust that comes on the chicken and it also helps to kind of thicken up the the juices as they cook but if you don't put it in there you're not going to miss it
5: yeah i love the pro tip on chopping everything up ahead of time
4: Oh yeah. I'm I mean, just
5: gonna say that I don't know. Do. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how
4: many that. times I cook with people that are like making a boxed cake or they're doing something, and then I'll just be in the kitchen watching, and I'll look over and like their oven isn't even on. Right. <laughs> and I was just uh, like
5: oh. I need to tell a quick story.
4: What could this possibly <laughs> be?
5: First of all, Dorta can make the most amazing cake from scratch you've ever seen in your life. I have been the recipient of it. She can also get, you know, down home and do a box cake with a you know frosting in a can like she can do it all we spent a holiday together and someone who shall remain nameless arrived with an uncooked pie <laughs> they
4: um, pumpkin pie. everybody
5: was bringing stuff might have been thanksgiving um and bless her heart someone arrived with an uncooked pie it was kind of they she had had it on her lap in the car on the whole way over and just intended to put it in the oven when she got there we'll all sit down to dinner she'll put her pie in okay and
4: well, 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 okay can i just say-, say can i say something though y- yeah the pie was on a sheet tray. The uncooked pie was filled with the pumpkin puree mixture, unbaked, in the car, on the lap.
3: Yeah, so. Thanks, by the way. For what, that what is, let's first get this straight. You got, I'm assuming, a store-bought pie shell. She Maybe oh, no, she I think she, know. she made her own. She made her oh, own crust. Okay. Yeah, oh, she sure. was. Because I was really, going to say, like, no, what did she effort. do? She took some canned pumpkin. No, 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 mixed no, no, no. This mixed was it with the sugar only. The Dumped it in a pie tin and no. then couldn't oh, put wow. it in the oven. No
5: no, 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 no. The only, you know, uh, out point here was
3: just that it wasn't cooked. Yeah, I think everything she else might was have homemade. Actually,
4: scraped a pumpkin out
5: and cooked it. She was. I don't know. The only mistake was become very impressive. Yeah. So it's that time. When you know at a holiday everything's coming out of the oven and is so sweet when she comes to my house. First of all, she's like, "I don't care if you make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich; just I didn't cook it, you make it, I'm happy." But she'll sit in the kitchen, and I'll be doing everything. I've
3: had of- her sit in the kitchen. Okay, before. that's
5: my favorite thing to do. I yeah. will obsessively be like, "Yes, yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna mix this up and put that in at 4:15." Okay, great. And you think I should? Bu-? And I just like think out loud. Anyway, it's that go <laughs> time, right? Everyone's getting ready to eat. We're pulling everything out, and Dora jumped in to help, and it was amazing. And I think we might have, you know, turned the. Oven up to do this and that and da da da, and we take everything out. And at some point, jams
4: with marshmallows. Right.
5: So we wanted them to melt and whatever, and everything's out now. Cut two. Um We're sitting at a dinner. where is <laughs> something burning? So the person who shall remain nameless, who sweetly brought the uncooked pie, had put it in the oven, and the boiler was on, still the, on super super high. They
3: didn't even. M- They didn't turn the oven. And I just
5: want to say that I didn't. Part of the story became a controversial text thread the next day where, as a joke, this person said, Dorta tried to sabotage my
4: pie.
3: Wow. Yeah, because I had
4: had helped with the marshmallows, and then I said, Now you can put your pie in. Right.
3: But but, But listen, if you tell me now. I can have the oven. That's yeah. the communication I've received. Now you can put your pie in, says oven is yours. Mm-hmm.
4: Yes. Step right.
3: Step one to set the temperature of the oven.
5: <laughs> yes. But, and yeah. so, you know, it was still a... Tase- Did they
3: say to you, I need it at 350? No. No. no.
5: So this is there. This is it, on them. 100% was on them. God, we had I
3: hope a- this isn't my wife. Definitely not. Oh, no. Um,
5: and that was it. And it was a, you know, funny little thing the next day. But the reason I thought of this is because her describing somebody's making the cake and they haven't turned the oven on yet. When that person walked in with the uncooked pie, there was just a little look from her to me like, "What? what's happening? I like had what
4: never just- seen. I loved it. <laughs> I loved. I couldn't
3: believe it.
4: Yeah, you know, I, I have never seen someone arrive with an unbaked pumpkin pie.
3: It's also such a simple thing to bake. Yeah. Yeah. And not ever something you're associating with being served warm. It also has to cool. And I wasn't judging it. I just
4: was like so mesmerized by the person at that point and just the choice to do it that way. And I loved it because Uh that was her choice. However, that thread the next day was like, Door to Saturday, pie. Yes, she did. Shouldn't tell me. it." It went on and on and on to the point where I was like, fuck you guys i'm (laughs) leaving the chat you're making me mad now we were kidding but yeah
3: i i gate pie gate (laughs) we have a lot of family and we did a thanksgiving once where it was only immediate family and there were 47 people and this is like all of brandy's brothers and sisters um step-parents and then people who are married to brothers and sisters and kids of brothers and sisters. And it turned in, it was 47 people. And, you know, with, on a Thanksgiving like that, pe- a lot of people want to have, make stuff. It's not just like, people aren't just showing up with, like, they come with uncooked pies. We wound up once having to borrow a neighbor's oven to put a turkey in. This this sweet old lady named Rima who worked at the Museum of... Uh, The mocha. No, she worked at lacma and and she all her she she didn't have kids coming home, and and she was like, yeah, use my kitchen, whatever. And we put a friends a friend showed up with an uncooked turkey. (laughs) I mean, an uncooked turkey, not a pie that goes in for half an hour. This cooks for like seven hours, (laughs) and they showed up seven hours early, (gasps) expecting an empty oven, and we were like, I don't know what to tell you, but. (laughs) Our ovens are full. If you need 10 minutes before we serve dinner, you can do that. And then we scrambled and found, Raima lent us her oven. And we just left the turkey in Raima's oven. And it cooked there all day? Not only that, but after dinner, Rima called us to remind <laughs> us that there was a turkey totally <laughs> destroyed in her oven. <sighs> completely dried. and And we were like you want it you want to feed it to your dogs like oh buddy, i don't know what to tell you i'm not sending brandy's <laughs> sister's husband over to collect the turkey so I, and we we apologize to rima in in our defense to rima we did clean her kitchen too and t- handle the turkey eventually after we got everybody out but we've 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 had situations like that
4: yeah I, well yeah i mean that was really, I'm totally remembering that. <laughs> Sorry. How, and that, you know, like I just was enjoying a night off. Yeah. You know, and somehow I was just blamed for that fucking pie.
3: Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. I I've said wait. the F word
5: twice. It's okay. We do a lot.
3: Yeah. And we'll get complaints. We'll get complaints specifically about you saying, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The MPAA will write in. They had a guest who swore twice. Um, Dorta, thank you so much for coming. This has been so much fun.
4: Thank you, Ethan. Thank yes. you for having me. Paige. Darda, You're my Robin. Oh, that's yes. nice. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank uh, you for having me. You're one of the best people Batman, I know.
3: Which I think is a, a more accurate. Oh, no, I
4: meant Robin with the Howard Stern's Robin. Oh. But maybe he's Batman
3: and I'm Robin. I kind of yeah. like that. Yeah, that's better. I thank feel, you, I feel Darda. like Batman is way cooler than Howard Okay, you're no, his <laughs> sure. Robin. There you go. Okay. <laughs> and now for the Q&A.
5: Here's one for you from Darren. <laughs> Hi, Darren. Darren says... I've been in keto for a while. Lost 86 pounds. Nice. Old me came back with a vengeance, put 47 back on in eight months. Okay. Back on it now, down 24 in eight weeks.
3: That's so good.
5: So with that said, I feel good in keto, but feeling, uh, but I feel it's something, because I feel it's something I'll stick with most of the time. But like you, I'm starting to do more weights. I want to move to a more balanced way of eating. How did you make that switch and what did you start with for non-keto foods?
3: Okay, cool question, Darren. Um I literally just made the switch one day. Um and I think uh you know, I I didn't go from keto to just like let me try eating some regular food. I went from keto to how, 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 how much energy do I need for the day? How much protein do I need to preserve muscle mass while in a caloric deficit? How many carbs can I then have with the remaining calories and how little fat can I get away with eating? I actually think for a while I went too low on my fats, which I've, um, I would say I've substantially upped since I started working with a trainer uh, or a coach, Jared Feather. Um, he he has added uh, more fat back into my diet, um, but I I I just you know I I don't know. I mean, you've lost eighty pounds. It sounds like now you're in the sixties. You're, you're down sixty pounds from where, where you started. I don't know how much more you want to lose, but. Um, if you still have a kind of a longer road in front of you, like you got a, 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 a fair amount left to lose, um, you might want to try to figure out what your maintenance calories first and do a little maintenance period, because that will set you up for the way that I would suggest eating, what are we calling this normal foods? Did he call them normal foods?
5: Uh, no, he just said basically uh, non-keto foods, a non-keto more balanced foods. way of eating. Uh, balanced.
3: Okay. So I just don't want to call it normal if that's not how you're thinking of it, but non, uh, more balanced. So once you figure out your maintenance calories, then you literally can just play with, here's how I do it. I figure out my maintenance calories. I uh, plug in the amount of protein I need to uh, preserve muscle mass. That is the first thing I do. How how much protein do I need every day? Good. How many calories does that take? Good. What's left over? What's left over is fats and carbs. That's it. So they can be kind of in whatever portions you like the best at that point. Um, and... <clears throat> the the reason i say figure out maintenance is you could type type in um to like you know you google uh basal metabolic rate calculator right bmr calculator and it'll spit out a number with at you that's not a guarantee that number that number could be slightly high it could be slightly low that's a ballpark number It's also a number generally that is like if you don't get out of bed. So if you get up and move around, if you go work out, you're going to want to add to that. What I will say is the very first thing that's going to happen when you add any carbs back into your diet is your muscles are going to fill with liquid and glycogen. So I would give it a couple of weeks at what you estimate as your maintenance calories. Cause the first few days you're surely going to go up on the scale. This is just water. This is not fat. Um, <clears throat> I've had a 10 pound swing in a day. Your body cannot build, uh, you, you, you cannot store 10 pounds of fat in a day. I mean, you'd literally have to eat 35,000 additional calories, which I've never heard of anybody doing that. So that's a lot of food. And I think your body would just stop processing it at a certain point. You would just have diarrhea. Um, so give it a couple or a few weeks figuring out your maintenance calories when you see that your weight is steady statistically steady not every day because there can be fluctuations right maybe you have a little bit more salt one day you hold a little bit more water maybe you drink a little bit more water which uh strips you of some salt and you're peeing more and suddenly you weigh a lot less but this is all this is all fluid balance this is not fat loss when you figure out what those are then you just start edging down if you want to lose weight that's my suggestion um, I hope that's coherent enough for you. Okay. Thank you for the question. If you have a question you would like me to answer on this podcast, please submit it to Americanglutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always joined by my chaperone Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast.
2: Sincerely.